supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. I'm battling a little bit of a cold here, but that shouldn't stop us from having a great night of paranormal talk uh, with our guest tonight, Michael Legion. He'll be joining us in just a couple of minutes. He's a UFO abductee and his new book is called Prepare for the Landings. And we're going to talk about that with him uh, as well as some of the work that he does uh, in both the UFO and the channeling fields. So uh, that's going to be a very intriguing discussion, I'm sure. Also, we have a guest here in the studio with us. We are broadcasting live on WBSM and also on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you check out Spooky TV, you can see we have Claire the Haunted Doll sitting in with us tonight. She's uh, sitting right there on the counter. So uh, we want everybody at the bottom of your screen, the left-hand side of your screen. So we want everybody to keep an eye on her during the course of the night. And if you happen to see anything happen, let us know because she is known to move. Uh, so we are going to have her in the wide shot, and then we'll occasionally cut to the Claire cam as well, so you can check that out. You know, we just got the headphones on so she can hear what's going on in the show in case there's any calls for her. Uh, that way there, you know, she'll be able to respond accordingly. So I'll share with you, uh, maybe a little bit later, I'll share some of the stories about Claire, but they will be coming out in the new book that Chris Balzano and I are writing together, Haunted Objects, Ghosts on Your Shelf. So, tentative title. I know Chris is going to want me to say that because he's still not happy with it. But uh, we will, uh, you know, we'll we'll share the Claire stories with you at some point. But for now, just do us a favor and keep an eye on her. There are some questions uh, in the chat room if she talks. Uh, no, she doesn't let we know of, but that doesn't mean she might not tonight. But it is just a porcelain doll, and the head is securely fastened to the body. So, but the stories do have the head turning. So if anybody sees that, please let us know in the chat room right away. So, uh, I know that's. You know, it's asking a lot. You know, bring you into the studio, put the lights on, put the cameras on you, and say, perform, doll. But, you know, we've got some plans coming up. Moniz and I are going to run some tests, as they say. We're going to provoke the spirit of Claire. We're going to take Claire to a very famous haunted location and see what kind of results we can get. So don't worry, Jill. We're keeping her in good hands. You don't have to be concerned. Moniz has already uh, made friends. So... All right, well, let's get right into the discussion then with our guest tonight, Michael Allegian. Uh You can go to his websites, vortexnetworknews.com, preparefortholandings.com, and channelforthemasters.com. They're linked up on spookysouthcoast.com. But uh, Michael is a UFO researcher and contactee. He's lectured for over three decades on UFOs and ET contact, as well as many other related paranormal and conspiracy-related topics. And uh, he is joining us tonight to talk about his book, Prepare for the Landings, Are You Ready? And I've been ready, Michael. Uh, I mean, I've always said that I've been ready. Uh, should I maybe not be so ready? Uh, well, actually, the book really helps prepare you, Manning. I do want to clarify something. You initially introduced me as an abductee, and then you clarified it and said it was a contactee, because there is quite a difference okay. between those two terms and realities. Mm-hmm. I'm a contactee. In other words, I've never been abducted. I have been uh, forced against my will. I had contact with beings, human-appearing beings, who intervened and saved my life, actually, more than once. Because wow. uh, as I've been exposing government cover-ups, the cabal, as I refer to the power elite, tried to off me quite a few times, but I'm still here. 
is they have a good cosmic backup team off the planet, which I refer to as the Federation of Light, Galactic Federation, who uh, have been intervening actually behind the scenes for a lot of, for the entire planet for quite some time. Well, I was reading through uh, some of the biographical information about you on your websites, and it, it does mention that you feel that you have conscious memories uh, from birth of being on a ship. Yes, and I share that in the book, and that's something else. From the time I was born, I actually remember part of this life choosing my Earth parents because of their uh, metaphysical and holistic background, which was very important for me to do the work I was ultimately going to be doing to be a channel. Uh, I was uh, actually trained in the Edgar Casey method of channeling. Many of your uh, audience may be familiar with Edgar Casey. He's quite a famous channel, psychic from the 1930s and 40s, and became ultimately known as a sleeping prophet. And my earth father, who had studied his life, discovered that it was actually he had gone to a hypnotist who trained him to go into this trance state, and he learned to induce that in himself and became the famous sleeping prophet. So after I had began to have visitations from higher beings of light, uh, earth-ascended masters, as well as higher cosmic beings, I started going into altered states and talking in my sleep, and my father, having studied those kinds of things, recognized the signs that I could be uh, trained, as Edgar Casey was trained, uh, into a channel. That's what I started doing by 15. I was doing these professional trance channelings, but I always knew I was supposed to be a cosmic telephone line, that is to channel higher beings, other than just spirit entities, mm -hmm. and that's what happened in 1979 when I was taken aboard the second time aboard what I called the Merkava Federation Lightship. I actually intervened in my life and activated my DNA RNA to do these kinds of 90-minute transformational sessions they do for other light workers and star people. Well, you say that you knew that you had a calling to channel higher beings. I mean, but is, was part of the process of developing this channeling ability, working with some of those, I don't want to say lower beings, but not as enlightened beings, or was it kind of right out of the gate you were contacting these higher, well, higher powers? Well, initially at 15 until up until 1979, the channelings were more karmic in nature about past Earth lives, people who come to me by word of mouth. And my parents, of course, uh, even though I was never really normal in a normal sense, they attempted to allow me to be as normal as possible, uh, even though I always was drawn to and was aware of other levels of reality. And uh, But those early expressions kind of prepared me for the more important work. I mean, I was glad I could help a lot of people, because I didn't know anything until after I played the recordings back. But I didn't feel that connection until 19, after 1979, and I experienced being taken aboard the second time, that I started connecting with others like myself, that is, others that I feel are volunteers and Earth embodiment who've come from more advanced worlds of the Federation to uplift this planet. In fact, uh, yesterday on 11.11.11, that many people may be familiar with, and I was meditating and tuning into the planetary frequency shift, and a lot of, and there were millions of other souls around the planet doing the same thing because this is one of the most important times in human history as the planet goes through what we call a spiritual ascension by us meditating and focusing on this energy, we were able to raise the frequency of the planet quite considerably from what I've picked up, and it's going to start accelerating between now and the end of 2012. And, and so when you're, uh, when you're receiving these messages and when you're realizing this stuff, I mean, you, you mentioned that uh, you, know, you go back and listen to the recording. Is that how it works? Is that you set yourself up uh, in a quiet spot? You start some sort of recording device so that you can have record of what comes through? Well, now, well, it, it, the difference is I'm in an altered state. I'm actually conscious doing these kind of sessions, even though when I come out of it, I forget everything. It just fades away. 
when the higher beings speak through me as a direct voice channel. I mean, all the time I'm kind of telepathically open, and they often download to me or comment to me about things going on in the media, the news. Uh, A good example was, you know, over two months ago when I heard about what appeared initially recorded as earthquakes in uh, Virginia and Washington, D.C., and uh, near the Denver airport, I immediately was told by my contact, Ashtar, that the underground negative uh, deep underground military bases, also the acronym for DUMB, were taken out uh, with a sonic uh, type of weapon system. Uh, they transported all the operatives out of there, but they ended basically in the last two months, they've been basically ending the cabal's reign of being, thinking the power elite thought they would have these places to flee to because of certain disasters going on on the outer surface. And, and it turned out, of course, there's no place for them to run now. And that was a major defeat for the New World Odor uh, crowd, as they refer to them. And now, because of that, because they also took out certain mind control devices, the Cabal this planning has been using against humanity by subjugating us and projecting fear and all kinds of things. Suddenly, this also impacted the Occupy movement around the planet. People began to wake up faster, began to really become more involved in uh, certain issues and, and uh, coming out of kind of a trance state of you know confusion. I think people have really shifted and, and become more aware of some of the major things, and this is what's also affecting the Occupy movement with, with overshadowing the higher forces. Well, you talk about this, Cabal, and you talk about the New World Order. Let's take a step back and kind of explain to everybody what you've learned is going on. I mean, I know it's hard to put it in a nutshell, but let's, let's try and do that. Well, from the time I was born, I was basically told by my space contacts uh, early on to be very discerning and... Uh, to, and they began to connect me with information to verify things they were telepathically telling me uh, about the power elite and also basic levels of uh, power as far as you know how the military is very compartmentized. They told me all about things. But then later, as years passed, I began to meet uh, what would now, later on in Project Camelot on the Internet, but I met these guys long before that was on the Internet, uh, were two to three hundred of these ex-military. Uh, well, military intelligence is kind of an oxymoron term, but people that were in black op covert agencies who began to blow the whistle, come up to my events in the 80s and share information with be breaking national security, feeling that it was important to get information out. And I heard very similar stories from various different people who didn't know one another who uh, would show up because they felt they had to get things off their chest. And then years later, now more recently, uh, for a number of years on the Internet, Project Camelot has been a source for whistleblowers to come out and uh, more officially share their stories. But I had a chance to meet a lot of these people earlier on and verify things that my space contacts were telling me. An example, uh, when I was nine years old, watching President Kennedy's news conference on the Cuban Missile Crisis on TV, all of a sudden, as I'm watching it, the being Ashtar, who I've been in communication with, he pops what I call etherically into the room. Now, you wouldn't see him with your visible eyes, but he was as real to me as, look, more real, in fact, than some of the mundane people I saw walking around <laughs> Earth. His first words to me were, we're not going to allow nuclear war because it's against Federation policy. Now, he was speaking to me telepathically, but it was a clear in my mind that somebody verbally speaking to me. And, sh- and he also told me how they were coming down over military bases to shut down all the nuclear missiles. And, of course, now, years later, all these retired guys from the military are discussing how they watched UFOs come down and shut down their missiles and affect them, how they intervened to stop nuclear situations that could have gotten out of hand, people in NORAD and places like that. Well, and, and that's a case, or one of the cases that we've talked about here many times is the Bentwaters case, you know, and that's a clear case of a, a site where these missiles were located being targeted by UFOs. 
Well, they were. Yes, because it was a different type of beings than the ones I interacted with. They were more like the gray entities that have been often known in abduction scenarios. Uh, my contacts have been all human appearing, very beautiful. I mean, they could have walked the streets of Earth dressed in Earth clothes, and you wouldn't know they were, quote, an ET or high-dimensional being. But they are what I call our cosmic extended family, and they've been intervening in numerous incidents since the false flag of 9-11, which was a big wake-up call. That was the way it was allowed. But there's been many dozens and dozens of cases since situations since then where the cabal plan to, for example, ignite nuclear weapons and blame on our group of terrorists, uh, they've intervened, and now they're clamping down on the HARP uh, device, the system that was up, built originally in Alaska, and also a thing called chemtrails, where they've been neutralizing and uh, helping to clean all the petrochemical poisons out of the atmosphere. They're doing a lot of work behind the scenes that most people are not even aware of to help this planet and make it a smoother transition. How long, is, I mean, how long have they been assisting mankind? I mean, does it go beyond just what we're doing to ourselves now, or are they maybe some of these... You know, the ancient aliens that we're hearing about a, a lot in the media now, a lot of these stories that we hear about them coming and helping mankind along through some of their greatest changes. Oh, yeah. The, the human-appearing beings, or the beings specifically I call the Elohim, that in the original Hebrew text, it was plural, not singular, as far as God. I mean, I, I believe firmly in a universal force, a divine intelligence, but beings with godlike qualities called Elohim, the gods and goddesses, and later known in, in biblical times as the angels, often came down and intervened, and, and intervened in numerous situations. We also had some negative entities, some renegades that I call the Draconians, who uh, eventually infiltrated and shut down 10 of our original 12 strands to attempt to enslave us and manipulate us. Now, they are a small group, but they still created havoc on this planet, and so the Federation had to intervene numerous times. The Draconians also connect with a group of the reptilian, negative reptilians in these entities called the Greys, we're very much connected with the original uh, banking families that became the Illuminati and uh, to manipulate us. So uh, I've been exposing a lot of this for years, and, and, uh, and again, uh, the cabal tried to off me quite a few times, and all I can say is having a good backup team has been very important. Uh, as I share in my book, though, my first experience at six years of age was falling off a pier in Oceanside, California, a very traumatic experience, but I had written that into my life script, that I was going to have these experiences not only as a verification to the memories I had carried with me, but also as a verification on a personal level that what I was experiencing in a personal sense of intervention would be, set the stage. And this is what they told me aboard the craft in 1959, at six years of age on board, that this was a preparation for mass planetary divine intervention in the future that would occur on a mass level and everyone would have a chance to have interaction and, and on because of the cabal controlling everything, this was a chance for people to have, you know, a chance to break out of the old controls and limitations that the power league had placed on us. Well, you, you mentioned uh, a few times uh, already that they have made some attempts uh, on your life. What, what kind of attempts on your life were those? Well, there was uh, both psychic means. In fact, as I share in the book in 79, specifically, I got hit with what I would call a psychotronic beam. Now, those of you who've seen the movie The Minister of Goats, uh, George Clooney played one of the agents, and actually, you kind of, they kind of downplayed the actual ability of some of these guys I have met. Uh, time went on, I met some former black ops who were trained in psychic assassination and remote viewing. Told me they were trained to kill people, but they didn't want to do it. They were actually, most of the guys I met were all of them. In fact, said they, when they were ordered to kill, they didn't want to do it. And it's my perception that some of these guys were actually higher beings in Earth embodiment who had infiltrated the cabal to eventually expose things. Well, for me... 
that horrific experience in, in March 26th of 79, I got hit with this beam, and I knew I, I was dying. I mean, they had ripped the life force out of my body. I'm briefly explaining it. I woke up later on the craft, the light ship, and these four Elohim human-appearing beings standing around me, putting the life force back into me. They literally brought me back to life, altered my DNA, RNA, so I wouldn't be vulnerable to that kind of attack. And it was very interesting because I never had fear of death anyway. It was more like if something happened to me, I just thought I'd go back to the higher worlds and and, uh, and crap, you know, go back to the home worlds that I knew of. But I knew I had a mission here. So at that point, as written in my life script, this intervention was to, again, verify to me that intervention was, a, this personal thing was a preparation for the future. But as I came out of this experience, stronger actually, my DNA and RNA altered so I wouldn't be vulnerable, I was also told aboard the ship a being named Corton, who I met, in the, communi- in the uh, Federation, he's a communication specialist. And he told me specifically from now on, unlike the old karmic sessions that I used to do, that for now on they would be sessions for those others like myself. And he specifically told me about a list of characteristics that I was going to come upon shortly. It would be kind of a physiological reference point uh, from a DNA RNA point of view for others like myself who have come here. Well, two months later, I saw that list for the first time that Brad Steiger had compiled called the NASA Star People Characteristics. If you go to my website, channelforthemasters.com, mm-hmm. I invite the audience to do that. You, it would be interesting to see how many of those characteristics or traits that you will recognize because, according to the theory, depending on how much energy we've been able to retain on a human level is how many of those characteristics we end up having. And it varies with different volunteers, but... I find that people are drawn to me, drawn to this kind of reality, happen to have at least several to a third. Some have less, some have more. That is one of the reference points that people kind of realize, hey, I'm part of this reality too. And for a lot of people, it's a real comforting, wonderful thing to realize that they're not strange or odd, that actually uh, they're very much a part of the reality. And uh, so it's a very wonderful thing that when people start awakening and start realizing why they're here, their purpose in life, these are the things I bring through, the masters bring through, these transformational channeled readings to give people clarity about their mission. And, and so it's quite, uh, and, and not only the information, but they actually have an energy beam on me in which they're downloading what is called these higher light encodements. So when people play back these recordings, and I get the feedback all the time, people play it back dozens of times and say they hear more each time because there's actually layers of stuff in these encodements. And depending how much we each rise to the occasion, they say that these encodements are very powerful to activate DNA, RNA, and kind of accelerate our progress that would have taken a lot longer. But, you know, w- without this acceleration, this would have been a natural process for people anyway? Well, yeah, people are waking up. It's just this is a way to speed up the process and help you kind of plug in yourself into the cosmic circuit. To, because we're all channeling light force. It's starting to interpret the signal. So the session also helps people get more plugged in, more consciously aware, and in turn, the thing that they keep emphasizing is that what each person experiences on a personal level impacts collectively the rest of the planet. It's more concentrated for that person receiving the information and energy, but it does help the overall collective shift. Now, I don't mean to keep belaboring the point here about, uh, you know, the forces working against you. Obviously, we want, we want to talk about what the message is that you're spreading. But we had a past guest on, uh, Laura Magdalene Eisenhower, who mentioned, too, that uh, not only was there this sinister organization trying to take her out but they were actually implanting people into her life into her mm-hmm. life uh to work against her is that something that you had to encounter were there people that you were interacting well, with on a daily basis that that were there to thwart you 
No, I had a little bit different situation. I'm familiar with uh, Laura Eisenhower and also Andrew Bichargo, who I've interviewed on my show, The Cosmic Connection. Uh, he and uh, he was on the Coast to Coast show just the other night. It was interesting because of more of his memories being unveiled. And Laura was, of course, in late 2006 uh, recruited. They wanted to take her to the secret Mars base, part of Alternative 3, mm-hmm. but she turned them down. Now, Andrew, when he was a kid, and it's very fascinating because now information's come out that our President Obama was actually at the Mars training secret facility uh, that was trained. He was on Mars in 81 with Andrew Bouchard and this other guy. They were uh, the other guy that was with Andrew, uh, you know, uh, you know, observe. Um, what was the word I'm looking for? Um, Jesus. Uh-huh. Sorry. Um, they compared. That's it. They compared notes and discovered this memory disturbing service that they both have memory being the same places. This guy Bill Sterling, I think, was his last name. It was a very fascinating interview. But Laura had been now. She didn't know personally herself like Andrew did, but she was. As a great grandson, a great granddaughter of President Eisenhower, she realized her mission is to help expose all this, and I think she had definitely had help from the higher forces or to continue on doing what she's doing. But I didn't have that kind of direct interact interference. It was more psychic in nature. They kind of stayed away from me. I think they knew I had connections, but they still thought they would try to off me if they could. You know, these, this the cabal is very much in, in cognitive dissonance. They don't want to recognize. On one hand, they know these forces exist, but they always think they can somehow outsmart them. Well, now, the end of August, and their bases started being taken out, this is now the end of there. It's like their goose is cooked now. Mm-hmm. And I think from here on out, things are going to get rapidly better and better because of their main, uh, you know, resources are now being eliminated. Uh, and so the people will now have a chance to wake up. And I think this is what my book talks about, is we're getting ready for open divine intervention. And this, in fact, had to happen. Uh, this, in fact, the base is being taken out, was one of three confirmations that on an intergalactic level, I remember millions of years ago, the certain events, three events were going to happen, that had to happen within months at the earliest or no later than a few years before the actual event, as I described my book, would occur. And those three events all happened in the last eight to nine months. Well, uh, the the obvious question that I have to ask is, going back to what you said a few minutes ago, if if Obama was on Mars in '81, do you think it's possible that that's where he left his birth certificate? Well, that's another that's another topic. I know there's a lot of currency for it. I that's very possible that you know whatever. I've heard all kinds of theories about that situation. What I'm focused on is the information that has come to light now, based on Andrew Bouchard, who I really feel is definitely right on, as is Laura Eisenhower. And the other guy that uh, Andrew Bisharko met in the training near the Siskiyou's Mount Mountain Shasta back in the early 80s. And that was a, that had happened because of his earlier work in time travel, Project Pegasus, connected with Project Montauk. And I interviewed him, I said, a couple times. And it's just fascinating because of some information I received telepathically correlated with some of the technology and stuff that he was directly involved in. And when uh, he said his memory started surfacing and realized that you know, that uh, Obama had a different name he was going by at that time, uh, that I think the first name was Barry, and I think the last thing the last name started with an S was the kind of the name he was using at that time. Uh, that, uh, But it was, it's interesting that, you know, at that time there were things specifically said that Obama would be, this person would be the fu- one of the future presidents. And uh, just a lot of, this can go off on another topic, but there's a lot of things that are happening now that to me are very relevant as far as what is ultimately going to occur as far as disclosure 
I think in 2012, I don't know for sure, but the evidence seems to indicate at some point before the end of 2012, we may likely have official disclosure if things keep going the way oh. they're going. I mean, hold on a second, because, you know, our mutual friend Steve Bassett, he's been working at that for a long time, and he's been saying, you know, every year it seems like it's right around the corner. And we only had just recently, you know, the petition that uh, that Steve was leading the, actually went to the White House, and the White House actually made comment and said that there was nothing to disclose. So, I mean, it well, sounds that, to me like they're calling it case closed. I mean, I don't believe them, but I'm just saying they're calling it case closed. Well, you know, that's their still official quote uh, thing that they've been the, – the, that's their kind of uh, – has been their policy for a while based on the Robertson report and some other things. But behind the scenes, and even based on the works of David Wilcox, who I highly respect, mm-hmm. his interview with Benjamin Fulford recently – and other channels and contactees, including what I'm being told, is even though that's what they said, because there's still some control factor there, behind the scenes, there's a whole change going on, not only in the financial world of a new economic system that's now officially in place, but they're just waiting to announce it, waiting for a few more countries to come online. Uh, You know, there's a lot of things happening that if you listen to corporate control media and what they put out publicly, there's quite a difference between the actual reality that has been going on for years. And so even though they might have said that, it was kind of disappointing for a lot of people who thought once they got enough signatures that they were going to do it. I just think they're still trying to and drag their feet. But I think with all of the evidence, and there's numerous whistleblowers who are saying that in the some of the compartmentized levels of the government, because of a recent shift, there's always been two basic governments, those who want to share the truth and the ones who want to cover it up. The evidence shows now with this new economic system what Benjamin Fulford was sharing that uh, it's only a matter of time now when uh, the truth will be revealed. And so I don't, uh, even though they did that, they said that again, I think we are on the verge, despite the outer corporate appearances of things, on the verge of things literally being revealed in a more official capacity because of some of the recent developments that have happened. Well, I mean, I think that the way things are going right now for the Obama administration and and I mean, obviously, it helps that the Republicans are kind of in disarray too, with trying to come up with somebody to compete against him. But this would be a good time for him to get behind a, a disclosure effort because he needs something that shows the people that you know he is working for something here. I and I think really strongly. You know, my attitude has always been: I've never been too much into politics because I always had the attitude that in order to get in, you have to be basically a puppet. But that having been said, my feeling about and some of these black ops that I've been talked to, who really were volunteers in Earth Embodiment, who were on, as Archangel Michael likes to say, a cosmic espionage mission light by appearing to be deep, you know, in the deep, in you know, the dark side, they infiltrated that to get the goods on them. And that having been said, it is my perception that Obama really is of the light, but his hands have been tied, his family's been threatened, and a lot of things have been going on, no matter who's in there, until this recent change with the underground bases being taken out, and the power league being in position. Nobody could have ever done anything, basically, no matter what they went on to do, because of the control, the blackmail, the, all of the, the things that the cabal uses to keep everybody in control. Uh, but I think that Obama's experience with the secret Mars program and all of that, and who he really is on another level, once certain things are removed, and as David Wilcox feels the same way, then he will have a chance to act a little more as a sovereign president rather than the puppet that all of them have been. I mean, Eisenhower, when you go back to his time, he wanted to share things after that landing at Edwards Air Force Base on February 20, 1954. That was two years after the Federation light buzzed in the nation's capital on, on July 19th and the 26th of 52, my sources tell me. They 
wanted to come down immediately, but because of the bureaucratic red tape, you know, kind of like in that original one, not the remake, but the original Day of the Earth Stood Still movie, showing how when uh, the higher being came down, Michael Rainey, playing actor, playing him, he wanted to get everybody together, and they're going, well, we can't do that. There's too many problems politically to do it, basically. And he said, I don't care about your petty squabbles. Well, it took him two years to land, and Eisenhower met with the ETs. Officially, he was at the dentist with a two-cap problem, but he was really meeting with the Federation. The, light, the three ships landed on the tarmac of uh, more what became Edwards Air Force Base. It used to be Morrick Field. And Ashtar, uh, my contact, told me he was in charge of the Ashtar Command, a major command in the Federation. He said to me, he said, I knew we were going to be turned down when we attempted it, but we had to go through proto- uh, diplomatic protocol, as you do in any world you're inter- interacting with. He said that because of, he said we offered the uh, officials a chance. He said we wanted to give your people technology, he told Eisenhower, if you will do a couple little things to show benevolent intent. He said, you must relinquish all your thermonuclear warhead as a guest of peace, uh, and also tell everybody what's going on, what the options are. Well, we had a little thing called the National Security State, which I officially think we need to abolish the National Security Act, because all it does is keep the war machine in place. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time for people, as they rise up around the planet with solidarity and, you know, the reoccupy group, that we demand this be one of the things. That's what, you know, we need to do that right away. And in the war machine, in the cabal officially, and allow there be no secrets any longer. And I think it's very important because we're part of an intergalactic community. So they attempted this. Instead, the government chose to work with a group called the Greys and also ended up cloning these entities and have been using, they wanted to use this for a negative alien invasion scenario to fool everybody, but the Federation won't allow them. Now they've taken out their bases and basically caused their anti gravity ships to no longer function out there. That Gary McKinnon had exposed uh, a number of years ago when he broke into the Pentagon computer. So there's a lot going on that has been happening that a lot of people may be aware of, and I'm mentioning a few things here that well, are all very much part of the scenario <coughs> behind the scenes. Well, when you mentioned the idea of this uh, this faked invasion, uh, I'm I'm sorry, I wasn't quite following. Who who was it that you were saying was was wanting to cause a, a fake invasion using these clones? The ball, when you know, if you go back and you. Uh, for those who are aware, aware of Werner von Braun, mm-hmm. who came over to the United States and through a thing called Operation Paperclip, all these former Nazis who had act, who had actually developed anti-gravity at the end of World War II, by the way, um, he came over and he eventually, as the years passed, he connected with a woman named Carol Risen, who became his assistant. And she said that his reconnect, he had found out from the power elite, the same ones who funded all the wars, mm-hmm. They were planning some scenarios to fool humanity so that people were willing to give up their rights and freedoms out of a sense of fear, needing to be secure. And one of those was the war on terror, quote-unquote. There would be terror, there would be uh, threats from space, possibly asteroids, which the Federation will, will stop. That won't be a problem. And that we were, quote, going to ultimately be invaded. That was the ultimate thing to fool us into believing, you know, that we were, uh, that threat, that we were going to be attacked. But the truth was the higher forces were wanting to intervene. It was just because of a few renegades the government was in touch with that uh, the Federation has recently been able to get out of the way so they won't interfere with that. But this was the plan of the power leap, one of their many scenarios to fool everybody. Well, what is the end game of this cabal? What is it that they, they're trying to achieve? What they were trying to achieve until their bases got taken out, I want to emphasize that point. Well, first of all, I, I want to say something. It, it is my understanding that we 
on we are now in a new timeline versus the old timeline. The old timeline, the cabal planned martial law. They planned human genocide on a mass level to wipe out, say, nine-tenths of humanity and just allow a few to be their slaves. And they planned to, okay, you know, there's all kinds of evidence of the concentration camps and, and uh, uh, plastic coffins light up in Georgia and cattle cars with human shackles. All that was their plan, but that's not going to happen now because we're in a new timeline. And uh, they thought they definitely could accomplish all this because they have cognitive dissidence. They were in denial of the divine laws of karma. So it caught up to them recently. And uh, so now they don't have any place to hide. And there it's all over. Their goose is cooked. It's officially all over for them. And it may look to some people that it's getting a little worse when all that's happening is all the stuff is being exposed right now, like a plantary wounds are coming out. And this next year, I think, is going to be a powerful year for uh, everything being disclosed, everything being brought out. Uh, because of the energy has been building up and people are waking up. So their plan is not going according to plan. Instead of them being able to kill off a majority of humanity, higher forces are stepping in and eliminating a vast majority of their plans. And, and there's a huge number of whistle, a huge number of false flags that the Cobol was planning that are not going to happen because the Federation is not, is not going to allow it. The people are waking up, and that's the important point. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, the... I mean, who who is the mainstays of this cabal? I mean, who is it that's the driving forces behind this? You had mentioned some of these other um, other types of beings, the reptilians and the draconians, as you, you were mentioning. Uh, but, I mean, there's got to be some Earth forces, too, that are part of this. There's got to be some, some people here on the inside for them. Well, I, uh, well, that's what I'm mainly focusing on. The cabal is primarily the Earth, you know, power elite, the industrial military complex that Eisenhower warned us about, but they've had help with these reptilian entities that are few and far between. David Icke has done a lot of work to expose that. The Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, they're like... Well, that's the thing. I'm looking for names here, Mike. I'm looking for names. Yeah, well, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the, there's like 13 major banking families. That according to David Icke, and I believe that not everything, but the majority of what he has found in his research are basically reptilian by, you know, they were a blood, reptilian bloodlines that took over the original spiritual nobility took it over, became the power elite, but now they've been warned that their day is done, and, and some of the fourth, fifth generation of these families are actually higher beings coming in to infiltrate the dark lineage to bring the light back. It's my perception like the, the, uh, the royal, the son, William, Prince William is actually a higher being that's come in to infiltrate the reptilian lineage over there, and this is happening all over the planet. Uh, early, the younger generation that's coming in is, is, stop, is ending, ending the reign of that dark power, and now the light's going to start gaining uh, the upper hand very quickly. So, I mean, how long do we have to be able to hold off? You know, how long do we have to hold them off for? I mean, at what point are they going to um, I, just... Okay, I keep emphasizing that their day is done. You don't have to hold them off. Just visualize the light, call in the higher forces, do the things that we as higher ethical beings would do anywhere. In other words, we treat others fairly. We've concentrated on focusing on the light. They, they've been exposed. All of, their, all, of the, uh, all of the things they have done have been coming out in recent years. People are very aware of it. I've been involved for years in exposing all this. It's just time now to start focusing on the higher energies, grounding them, and this is why a lot of us in uh, the last 24 hours on 11-11-11 gathered, focused the light, called on the higher forces, ask them to overshadow and enhance this process. And I see a very powerful shift that's taking place right now. And, and, and it really started back in 1987 during an event called the Harmonic Convergence. Mm -hmm. 
that between that and 2012, that was the transition for Earth. Now, what happened in 87, as the energy started to shift, the cobalt freaked out because they picked up frequency a shift. So they came up with the uh, chemtrails on the harp. They already had started experimenting with the chemtrails a few years earlier, but it really started in the late 80s. Huge amount of these, you know, these lines across the sky that people initially think are contrails, that they dissipate within a minute. This was petrochemical poisons, and that's been going on for years. And now I've noticed something interesting. After I had experiences in 2003 when I was living in Florida, and everywhere I went I saw these chemtrail, you know, things across the sky, petrochemical poisons, and they did grid patterns where they would do this, and it would be like for two or three days the intense artificial clouds and all this petrochemical crap was starting to come down, and that also caused the Morgellons disease and things like that. Well, I saw a green fireball shoot across the sky. After I was telepathically told to come outside and take a look at the night sky, I went outside, and here comes this green fireball. And the significance was, if we go back to the 1950s, when nuclear testing started in New Mexico and Nevada, there were a huge number of green fireball sightings. And that was the Federation lightships taking the radiation, the excess radiation out of the atmosphere, or would have been a lot worse for the, uh, the DNA, RNA things, that the, uh, the, us being affected by the radiation. Well, when I saw this green fireball, they specifically told me, they actually referred to my readings, my channelings, because in these encodements I mentioned earlier, one of the things that they've been doing is to enhance our immune system as long as we do take personal responsibility. Those encodements are designed to enhance that. Well, they told me they would start stepping in and, get, and as long as we take personal responsibility. And sure enough, as the years passed, I started noticing a lot of these saucer-shaped lenticular clouds as meteorologists refer to them, appearing not only over mountains but everywhere. And those were the ships in the etheric or physical when they had ionization around them, and they were specifically beginning to neutralize. And now in more recent months, I noticed something interesting. Instead of the cloud aspect, the artificial stuff, staying up there for a day or two, now within a matter of hours, no matter how intense the, the uh, chemtrail uh, thing is, I see it starting to dissipate very quickly now, that's because the energy of the planet is shifting, higher forces are stepping in, people's consciousness is raising. So that program is about to totally break down uh, because of what we've been doing as far as grounding the light, because the Federation light is stepping in to stop all of this kind of activity. And it's us and them together. And I refer to them as our extended cosmic family, these human-appearing beings who genetically seeded Earth human on the planet millions of years ago are returning now en masse to prepare us as they lift the planetary quarantine, to allow us to become official members in the Federation. And then what will we gain by being members of that Federation? Well, as I share in my book, Prepare so for the Landings, go to preparefortholandings.com. You can either order a paperback or get an e-book in different versions. I specifically describe that unlike the old emergency scenarios when they would come down suddenly, no time to prepare people, just they took up a few that were basically ready, would have been ready, uh, now, in the series of waves they're going to be doing, they are going to help take people up according to how ready we are. And they talk about a vibrational scale, not related to belief so much as our consciousness. Where is our consciousness? And they talk about the scale, depending on you, where you are on the vibrational scale, would kind of decide, determine whether you're prepared to be taken aboard. And uh, they, there are things you can do, like dietary things to raise your vibrations, like stay away from all the refined processed GMO foods that are very destructive to us, mm -hmm. chemical sweeteners and all this, uh, and try to eat a more vegetarian type of diet, basically. <laughs> you raise your vibrations, and there's things you can do through meditation. I teach a thing called a cosmic color meditation, 
one of the DVDs I have available through preparefortheLandings.com is a, a DVD that teaches people how to channel and uh, color meditation related to the chakras that I teach. They can raise your vibrations. and Wearing crystal can do that. And a lot of different things that, you know, that is enhancing to your being, enhancing the Mother Earth, that's a good thing to do. And it helps to make it easier and more. It helps to prepare you for these changes coming up and, and be lifted aboard the ship when they do, you know, uh, kind of flick that switch, so to speak, and they have the resonating feel. They want to make sure that you're in harmony to that feel. So if people are eating really unhealthy and they treat their body like a cesspool and they're at a very low vibrational level, you can't be taken up because you would be in conflict with that, that higher energy beam that's placed upon you. So it's a both personal thing and what they're doing to prepare us for this change. Well, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, even, I, I mean, that's just good advice anyway. <laughs> even if yeah, we weren't is. trying to, even if we weren't trying to, to achieve this next level and uh, to, to make it into this federation. But it, it, it seems like to me, though, that in some ways people's skepticism are going to keep them from being able to get with the program. And, you know, you called your book Prepare for the Landing, so I'm assuming that there will be some sort of massive event, uh, a worldwide event, that's going to make people start to buy into this really fast. Well, I think uh, one of the things that I think we're going to see very soon, there's already been some uh, videos of this on YouTube of ships coming now, not that close, but uh, fleets of them high up in the sky flying over. My Astro tells me, and this is coming through other channels and contactees also, that sometime very soon, uh, probably in the coming months, we are going to, it could even be weeks, I don't know, we're going to have a number of uh, bigger sightings of the ships being a lot closer in, maybe one or a whole fleet of them flying right over the major cities. And I think they've told me to give kind of cosmic solidarity to the Occupy movement, because uh, that was kind of activated through the Anonymous group originally, which I was recently made an honorary member of. Uh, that started, and a lot of these people in part of the anonymous group that became the Occupy group. There's a lot of a lot of whistleblowers from the military who's joined that group, giving their expertise and a lot of levels to overthrow the cabal and kind of you know power to the people, not in a violent way, but in a peaceful way, but a very strong, very authoritative. Say, hey, we want you know take back our power, our freedom. We're tired of the cabal manipulating us, and I see all over the planet a huge waking up taking place. And it's, they can't stop this movement. This is bigger than anything that's ever happened in the past. And uh, I'm very excited about what I see happening. I mean, there's elements that have tried to infiltrate the Occupy movement, like over in Italy and stuff. But overall, it's a very peaceful and empowered movement of people who have woken up, and even the military supporting the movement. They're coming back from the you know, wars, and they're not being given any of their retirement pay. They're not getting any benefits, not getting any help that they were promised. And um, I think it's going to be very soon. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out in the open that has been withheld from the public. All right. Well, uh, the book is called Prepare for the Landings. Are you ready? Uh, his name is Michael Legion. The book is available from preparefortheLandings.com. Uh, he also runs the websites VortexNetworkNews.com and ChannelForTheMasters.com. And that's where people can get a hold of you, uh, Michael, if they want to have one of these channeling sessions, right? Yeah, they can. Uh, there's phone numbers there, and they can call. And uh, But check out that NASA star people characteristic list, see how many of the traits you have. And, again, I find the people who are drawn to this usually have at least a, a few to several or even sometimes as much as a third or more of the list, depending how many, how much of the energy you've been able to retain. But I usually connect with people when they're about to go through a major change. I'm kind of, some people say I'm like the cosmic kick in the be- on the butt kind of because my information helps to give them more clarity and helps them plug more into things that they've been kind of feeling but kind of gets 
little more uh, continuity to their life and helps them understand why they've been, you know, experiencing things the way they are and what their future potential. It kind of helps them understand their mission, their galactic origins, where their soul came from. And to me, when I, I get the feedback from people all the time, how much greater they understand their purpose and how it helped them really understand confirming their feelings and things of this nature, and I see the potential they have, you know, it's very exciting to uh, see that kind of change happen in people's life, and it's happening all over the place. All right. Well, again, the book is called Prepare for the Landings. Are you ready? You can get it from preparefortholandings.com. Michael, thank you for joining us and for sharing your message. And hopefully as we get a little bit closer, uh, you know, we'll be in contact with you and have you come back and talk a little bit more about how we can get ready for these changes because this, this book is the first in a series, as you'll find out more on preparefortholandings.com. Thank you again, Michael. All right, we will be right back uh, in just a few minutes. We're going to talk about the Rhode Island Paranormal Festival coming up tomorrow, and uh, we'll also talk some more about Claire the Doll, and we'll get Moniz's take on what we've been discussing for the last uh, little bit of time, too. So stay tuned. We will be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast is back. It's Saturday night. I have no date. A two-liter bottle of Shasta and my all-rush mixtape. Let's rock. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz broadcasting live on WBSM and also on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com and check out the camera, you can see our guest in the studio with us tonight, Claire the Haunted Doll. Uh, we do have her uh, sitting right there. Moniz, why don't you just pull the headphones off just so that if she does decide to move her head, we can catch it on camera. And just slide that mic out of the way. She's obviously not going to contribute anything vocally to the program. We told her she could feel free to ask questions. But uh, I guess she's a little shy. I mean, when you come here, Claire, and when you sit in with the Spooky crew, you're part of the crew. So feel free to just jump in and join in the discussion at any point. Uh, we, we, really, we really would like to hear your thoughts and opinions. Uh, one of the things that I've been talking about with her owner, Jill, is the possibility of provoking uh, more out of her and trying to get her to give us some kind of reaction. So maybe we'll do that a little bit more into the show as we go along. So definitely if you're home, uh, turn on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com so you can see what's going on when we try that uh, a little bit later on. But we just had an interesting first-hour discussion with uh, Michael Allegian about his book, Prepare for the Landings. Are you ready? It's the first in a series of books that will prepare us for what he says is the coming transformation of ourselves and our planet into moving into that uh, intergalactic federation. So, and you know, Moniz was very restrained in a lot of uh, you know what he said. But this this is a similar message to a lot of what we're hearing from people uh, who claim to be contactees that this 
you know, the idea of this coming of the light and the idea that we need to focus more on the light and wash a lot of this negativity away. Well, it's, it's the same message, just different messenger. If you go back to, you know, George Ademsky, Fry, or even uh, Billy Meyer, for that matter, all of the famous contactees, they all say roughly the same things. And it's not bad things necessarily or, or anything like that, you know. They all have their own little versions and names that will go along with, you know, but mm -hmm. the basic message of, you know, be good to each other and work in harmony with yourself and your environment and, you know, clean up your act and straighten up, fly right. That's, like I said, it's the same message. We just have a different person, you know, what, saying it. And what, what he's saying, you know, our contactee situations in 2011 and throughout the course of his life might have been seen as, you know, some kind of divine intervention to a different culture at a different time. Right. It's, all, it's, it's all in just, uh, you know, the different ways that we perceived it. Uh, but again, if you want to check out his book, it's called Prepare for the Landings. Are you ready? And you can get it at preparefortholandings.com. Now, there's also going to be a, a bunch of discussion and paranormal books and all kinds of things happening tomorrow at the Northern Rhode Island Paranormal and Metaphys Metaphysical Fest uh, that's happening tomorrow from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. at the Elks Lodge, located at 326 Farnham Pike in Smithfield, Rhode Island. And we have Pam Padalano on the line with us who's going to be uh, putting together this event. Pam, it sounds like uh, you're getting some real great reaction from uh, people in the local paranormal community. Yeah, we seem to have um, quite a few people that wanted to do this event, and it's um, taken on a life of its own, so to speak. So, um, I mean, when you first started starting to put all this stuff together, did you ever think that it would have the response that it has? Because it, it just seems like, uh, you know, paranormal investigators and people interested in it are coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, and it just started out, it was just going to be a, a book signing uh, for Andrew Lake and, you know, a few paranormal teams. Um, but I had such an overwhelming response that I had to make it much larger than that. So, um, you know, it's going to be pretty big. I think we're expecting about 300 people. And you've got a full slate of presentations happening, too. Yes, we do about 14 to 15 presenters tomorrow. But what are some of the uh, topics that will be covered? Um, well, we have um, uh, Andrew Lake will be talking about um, some of his most famous hauntings. Um, I have Matt Moniz coming on, speaking about Lizzie Borden. Uh, myself and Tiffany Rice will be um, having a question and answer half an hour about um, what it's like to be a spirit medium or a psychic medium. Um, we have Ken from Rise Up who will be speaking about paranormal investigations. Um, and we have Keith and Sandra Johnson um, talking about demonology and the paranormal. Um, and I also have Robin Marie who contacted me um, who wanted to to participate in this event, and she's also a medium, um, and she'll be on um, making a presentation, um, along with Julie Griffin, who is a spirit photographer. So that's just a few of the people that we have, but we have many, many more, and it's going to be very exciting. And, of course, the uh, the star of the show will be there, the man who's going to demand special treatment. Yes, he will. She, I don't think she realizes yet what she's dealing with with Jeff Belanger. <laughs> oh, you were talking about Jeff. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no. Oh, believe me. Jeff is, uh, you know, you're going to have to have the uh, the fresh rose petals on the back seat of his limo when uh, arrives to pick him up. And, uh, you know, the the red carpet will be laid out before he'll okay. before he'll get out. You're taking notes, right? Of course. Of it course has to I be 14 bottles of Avion kept at room temperature and a brandy glass full of brown M&M's. 
Well, I can do the brown M&M's, absolutely. Only brown M&M's. You're getting the small, you know, brass band to play each time he walks from room to room. Well, that could be pre-recorded. He's fine with that. But, you know, if that's going to be the case, the palm fronds have to be real and not artificial. Okay. So, he's a, he's a very picky guy. Okay, well, I'll keep that in mind tomorrow <laughs> we're just, when I'm running around. Yeah, we're just kidding around. He's He's awesome. He's uh, and he's going to give a great presentation. As I'm sure all the speakers will. Uh, so it's uh, definitely worth getting down there to check out. It's only eight dollars for the tickets. Eight dollars for the tickets. I mean that's yeah. a that's a full slate of uh, information and uh, for entertainment uh, for only eight dollars. I mean for less than the cost of going to see a movie, you're going to get to hear all these people speak and interact with all these paranormal investigators and mediums. And it it, it just sounds like uh, you know it, in the time that you have it scheduled for, there's still not going to be enough time to see and do everything. You're right. There's probably not going to be enough time, but you know we'll make it work. It'll work. But here's the real important question that everybody really wants to know: Will, will there be food? There's going to be some food. Just bring donuts from Moni's. <laughs> That's all he needs. Okay, Matt. I'll have you covered tomorrow as well. All right. And Jeff requires Swedish fish. <laughs> actually, he usually brings his own, so you don't have to worry about that. All right. I'll see what I can do. Actually. So, uh, again, it's at the Elks Lodge at 326 Farnham Pike in Smithfield, Rhode Island. And uh, it's, it's real easy to get to, right? Yes, it is. It's, uh, it's not far from the exit off seven, exit 7 off 295. So, and, uh, again, it starts at 9 a.m., so get there nice and early. You don't want to miss any of the things that are going on. And, Pam, hopefully you can join us on an upcoming episode, uh, as you did with uh, Tiffany Rice on Spirit Connections this week, where you can come into the studio here and, and talk with us a little bit about your gifts and, and how you use them on investigations. And we'll have Andy come in, and we'll talk about how you guys work as a team, because i got to tell you, I was pretty shocked when I found out that Andrew actually uses a medium when he goes out and investigates. Knowing the way that he feels, I mean, I, I know that you must have really uh, really wowed him for him to uh, to work with you like that. I, I think I, I think I have. I think I've proven myself time and again. All right. Well, so uh, we'll definitely have you come in and talk about some of those adventures. That'd be great. I'd love it. All right. Good luck with everything tomorrow. I'm hoping to get there if uh, work permits, but I know uh, Moniz will definitely be there, and uh, people are talking in the chat room about uh, making plans to meet up, so I, I think it's going to be a great turnout for you. Great, great. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Talk to you soon. See you tomorrow, All right. Pam. All right. Bye-bye, Matt. Bye-bye. All right, that is Pam Padalano. She is putting together the Northern Rhode Island Paranormal and Metaphysical Fest. That's, again, tomorrow from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. at the Elks Lodge at the 326 Farnham Pike in Smithfield, Rhode Island. And you don't have to go there the entire day if you can't make it. I'm sure some people are going to want to, uh, you know, sleep in a little bit on Sunday morning. You might miss the first couple of presentations, but there's still plenty of stuff going on all day. You could show up at quarter of seven, and it would still be worth your $8 ticket admission. So and again, it's at eight, it's till seven o'clock. That gives you like an hour and twenty minutes to get home before the Patriots start. So you've got plenty of time. If Jeff Belanger is going to an event on a day that the Patriots are playing, then you know you've got plenty of time to get home before the game starts. So there you go. Now uh, we were talking before about how we have uh, Claire the Haunted Doll here with us in the studio. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, we are keeping an eye on her on the wide shot cam, and I've been running the close up a little bit uh, on her as well too. And you can see. You know, she's pretty relaxed and pretty reserved. Uh, but some of the stories that I heard about this doll, and I'm in the process of trying to get her owner, Jill, uh, to come on with us as well. So, Jill, if uh, if you're listening, I'm, I'm messaging you here trying to get you uh, on. Hold on. 
So uh, we'll just keep doing that. Uh, but uh, some of the stories that she's told me about it got me really interested. And I said to her, you know, do you still have the doll? And she said, oh, I got it somewhere. She'd actually stored it in a closet and uh, really kind of not forgot about her, but decided not to take her out for a very long time. So when I asked her if she could share her with me for the project that I'm working on with Chris Balzano, she said sure, and she actually uh, mailed her to me. She arrived uh, protected, of course, but uh, she came the day that I took her out of the box. I put my EMF detector up against her and got a spike, which was uh, pretty interesting. It lasted for a minute or so, and then it went back down again. And I tried again over the course of a couple of days, and nothing was really happening. But I did bring her with me into the Standard Times newsroom uh, when I recorded our high school football web show uh, the other night. And the same wide-shot camera that we use here on Spooky South Coast, uh, we use the exact same equipment to record that show. And that same wide-shot camera, which anybody that watches Spooky TV every week can tell you, never really gives us a problem in terms of the quality of the image. All of a sudden, it started doubling up on the image. And if you watch the show, it's called South Coast End Zone, and it's available on my Facebook page, and it's on Ustream, South Coast End Zone. And if you watch it, you can actually see where the image starts kind of doubling up, almost like when you're watching uh, uh, the blue and red 3D movies without the glasses on, and you see the double image. It's almost like that, and it's never happened before, and it happened during the recording of that show with the doll not more than four feet away from where we were doing it. So right now it seems like uh, she's behaving herself, and she's not causing any problem with our equipment. We did have that weird thing happening with Matt's mic, but you know that could be the equipment here in the studio. We can't account that as being something paranormal. But uh, we're going to wait and see if Jill can join us to talk to us for a few minutes about Claire the doll, and if not... I'll share the stories. I don't mind because they uh, sent a chill down my spine. So why don't we take a break and when we come back. We'll talk more. We'll have Claire here and we'll start trying to evoke some kind of response from her. And uh, maybe we'll even let you guys call in and, and try and do that as well. Uh, if you have any questions or want to get involved in the discussion, 508-996-0500, Those are numbers. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. If you are listening on the radio but you're at home or if you're somewhere where you can log into Spooky TV, uh, hopefully you're not driving, but if you can log into Spooky TV on SpookySouthCoast.com, you definitely want to check that out because we have Claire the Haunted Doll in the studio with us. Uh, she's right there in the bottom left-hand corner of your wide shot, and we're going to be switching over a few times to the close-up as well. Uh, we were talking about some of the experiences that I've had with her since uh, I got her in the mail a few days ago on loan from her owner, Jill, and now we have Jill on the phone with us. She's going to share with us some of these stories, which, again, I mentioned are, is in our forthcoming book. There'll be There'll be a lot more information about the doll there. I'm going to chronicle what goes on uh, while I have her uh, over the next few days before I send her back to Jill. 
but let's get a little bit of the background because everybody in the chat room is asking about it, Jill. Uh, I put out the call for people who have haunted objects or who have some sort of possessed or cursed object, and it's I still would like to hear from you. You can just email me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, or even better, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, because then Chris and I will both get it. But, uh, Jill, you responded right away and told me the story about Claire, and uh, it, it blew me away <laughs> when when I finally read your account of, of what went on. Well, um, I was actually kind of surprised that you believed me, because most of the people I tell it to always give me this kind of eye-roll, scoffing-type reaction. Oh, no, I've had enough uh, enough dealings with porcelain dolls in my lifetime to, to not to not believe what you say. I mean, I, I, I've been creeped out by them enough over the course of my life that... Uh, I, I believe any story anybody wants to tell me about one of these things. Well, she is the reason I do not allow dolls anywhere near my house, anywhere near me. I, d- I don't do dolls. And the fact that I was willing to go and dig her out of the closet for you should be a sign about how much I like you. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And uh, thank you for driving around the car. Now, we've, we've got her here set up uh, with the camera on her. And what I've done is I've put a pair of headphones uh, right next to her with the volume turned up all the way so that she will hear your voice. And maybe there'll be some kind of uh, reaction from her in that regard. Also, uh, Matt Costa, if you can, and if it causes any problems, uh, we can not do it with the headphones open like that. But if you could turn up that mic that's right next to her as well. Because one of the stories, Jill, that you told me is that uh, while you were transporting her to to ship her out to me, you were hearing sounds uh, coming from what might have been the doll. Yeah, I had her in my trunk, actually, because I just didn't want her particularly close to me. But as I was driving, I swore I heard a female talking, and I thought it was actually my phone. Like, maybe I accidentally pocket-dialed somebody, and they were talking, trying to get my attention, you know, hello, hello, whatever. But I would pick up my phone, and it was not dialed anybody, and I would turn down the radio, and I could still kind of hear it, but then it would stop. So I turned the radio back on and, you know, drove on some more, and then I'd hear it again and just repeated the process. And I was kind of like, well, I guess... Maybe it's Claire. Maybe she's trying to talk to me. Why don't we uh, start with uh, how you first came to own Claire? Uh, I was about eight years old, and actually a family friend slash she was my Sunday school teacher at one point, too, gave me this doll. She said that she thought she looked like me and wanted me to have her, and I wasn't ever really a doll person. I was kind of a tomboy growing up. I'd rather play with Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles than the doll. So I took her home and I put her in this child-sized rocking chair that I owned and just kind of left her there. Well, it's kind of an interesting story, the, the where she came from. I mean, she was given to you by a friend of the family. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that when dolls are given as gifts, I mean, most of the time, you got to be, you know, you know, most you ask for a cabbage patch and you get a porcelain doll. You know what I mean? I mean, most of the time it's not what you had in mind in terms of, of, uh, of a doll that you would play with. And you saying that you didn't really play with dolls to begin with. Um, did it seem like an odd choice for her to give it to you, or was it kind of just one of those sweet old lady, you know, they think girls play with dolls anyway type of things? Well, she was always giving me stuff. She also gave me this this toy rabbit that was almost dressed exactly like Claire. And, again, it just wasn't something I was interested in. She gave me some little figurines. She was just the type of person that she came across something and it reminded you or it reminded her of you, she wanted to give it to you. And, and did she have experiences with this doll before she gave it to you? Uh, yes. 
I did find that out in the course of actually doing the research for the story for you, that she kind of came out of nowhere in Miss um, Marion's house. And about the time she came out of nowhere, she started moving around on her own. She would go from the shelf that she originally put her on to the stool to the couch. And nobody ever knew how she was getting moved around. Well, and when she came to your house, what was some of the phenomena that you first noticed with her? Um, the first thing I kind of noticed was when I was playing in my room, I always kind of felt like she was watching me, kind of keeping an eye on me, almost to the point where if I did something bad, I almost thought she might go and tell on me. You know, that kind of, you know, almost parental supervision type watch. And the next things that happened were I had a um, carousel music box that sat on my dresser and it was the type that you know you had to wind it up it was an old mechanical thing and the carousel horse would move up and down as the music played and sorry um claire was sitting in the rocking chair which was positioned right next to my dresser and there was this time i was i was actually reading a book of ghost stories because i've been into the paranormal as long as i can remember um all of a sudden the music box started playing and it wasn't like you know if you have an old mechanical music box and you uh you know vibrate something and it starts to play it was not like that it actually full out started playing like you know the whole song and the horse started moving up and down i just kind of sat there and watched in silence as it happened and all of a sudden it just stopped it wasn't like it wound down it just and I was like, okay, but it wasn't scary. It was just one of the things that's like, you know, wow, that just happened. How did that just happen? Kind of thing. Jill, I'm just going to uh, put you on hold for one second here. Matt, if you can just pop her button off. No, not the doll. Jill's, Jill's button. I'm just trying to figure out if that sound is coming from that microphone or not. Might be from the phone. Okay. We're just, as we're talking to you, we're hearing this like scratchy sound here in the studio and we weren't sure where it was coming from exactly. So we were, we were wondering if it was coming from the, the mic that we put on Claire. So we just wanted to cut him on double check. Um, so, I mean, it sounds to me like, you know, she, she wanted you to know that she was aware of your presence, you know, that she wanted you to know that there was something more to her than just being a doll, but wasn't trying to be, you know, particularly scary or, or particularly malevolent. No, she, sorry, she never was scary, She, but like I said, she was kind of unnerving, kind of that, you know, watchful gaze thing going on, and I just, I honestly just, I let her be, and I didn't automatically attribute the music box thing to Claire, I just, I mean, I had stuff happen to me from a very early age on, so music box didn't necessarily equal haunted doll to me, it was just another strange thing that happened in my house. Yeah, I mean, you'd mentioned to me in some of the communication that you sent to me that there there were other spirits in the house. Um, I mean, what about after you put the doll away? I mean, did, did things continue on? The Well, there was always what I call the shadow man, and he has been a continuous present of, until this day. I mean, even, you know, I had friends who would come to the night and would see him, and even now 
um, my sister-in-law, when she's there, she's experienced him. And so he's just, he's always been there, but I don't attribute him to Claire. Um, the only thing that has kept happening after we put Claire away was um, this woman was literally like, it felt like she was like inches from my face and she would just scream my name like, Jill, wake up. And I'd always, you know, like sit upright, you look around, nobody's there. And she did that to me for years, I mean, even really up until I moved out of my parents' house. And then she started doing the same thing to my brother. Now that he's gone, she moved on to my dad. And he even told me just recently that he's he's heard the woman calling his name in the middle of the night. Well, it, it, I mean, we've got her here. And, uh, you know, if you have anything that you want to say to her, feel free to. She'll hear you over those uh, headphones that we have. Clay, I'm so sorry that your hair is a mess, dear. You can blame <laughs> that on Tim. Hey, she's the way she came out of the box. Uh, you know, the 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 travel must have uh, had an effect on her. I did not. I don't have any doll combs or anything like that kicking around my house. You know, me, my wife, and my seven year old son. So uh, we we know we're not used to caring for dolls in the house. Uh, but my wife did bring up her porcelain doll from uh, from the basement that she has saved. So if Claire wants some company, she has some. Uh, just hope she doesn't, you know, jump from Claire to your wife's doll. No, 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 that's not going to happen. Let's not let's not talk about that. Uh that's uh that's not going to happen. But uh we we do and and Matt Koss is actually watching that that weird video. That is a little strange, you have to admit that we've never seen that happen. But that could have uh I would say that that could have been the faulty, you know, you know, like the low internet connection of where we were going because we were working off wireless, but none of the other cameras were affected. You can see when we cut to the other shot, but anyway, that's something that we can talk about off the air. Uh well we have her here. We have the camera on her. We have a microphone on her. Uh, so, I mean, we could try and see if we can get some kind of a rise out of her. Mo- Moniz, I know that you have some experience, especially working with Robert the Doll, yeah. uh, the famous Robert the Doll that uh, people have heard about, which there will be stories about Robert in our book as well. But, uh, I mean, why don't you try and see uh, if you can get any kind of reaction out of her? The only way I'd be able to get a reaction out of her would be to physically move her at this point. I mean, I've just met her. She's like very many other uh, porcelain dolls I've seen before, and this is not the first haunted porcelain doll I've come across either. Mm. But most cases you find of haunted objects are children's toys, and that could be—I mean—that could be because of the energy that kids expel. Right. Some of that residual energy is tied into the object, uh, but I mean that doesn't account for them almost having their own intelligence. Uh, I, yeah, I mean that's. In the Lizzie Borden house, the doll that's usually on the bed and the teddy bear, the two will exchange positions. The teddy bear will wind up sitting on the doll's lap, and they move around the room, and that happens quite often in in that house. So uh, I really would like to have some time to put Claire in a particular room and location. You want some time alone with your doll, Jill. Let's not go there. No, but we are. We're actually (laughs) planning on bringing her to Lizzie Borden's, uh, Jill, so she's actually going to get there well ahead of your visit. Oh, not there. (laughs) We'll take pictures. Okay. But, uh, I mean, there is, you know, there's a lot of stories about the toys in that house being moved around. So part of the, the plan that we have is to leave her in the third floor chimney room where the children spirits are supposedly playing with these toys and then go into a different part of the house and seeing what happens. And also, you know, actively trying some experiments with her there as well. So, I mean, maybe it could be a case of there's a new toy in the house and the kids want to come out and play with it. Well, I hope they do. I really hope that she does act up for you. But, I mean, she has been in a box for 18 years. So, 
Maybe she's a little rusty. Well, I did mention now that when I took her out of the box, I did get a big EMF spike, almost like it was some stored-up energy you know, that she had, and she just expelled it when she came out. But uh, she's been very, very well-behaved. Uh, I actually, uh, the first day that I had her, as I mentioned, I took her with me to record the high school web show, and that was mainly because I didn't want to leave her alone in the house and have something go on and have nobody be there to perceive it because nobody was home. So I thought it best if she came with me in case she started acting up, and I put her in the car with a seatbelt over her right in the front seat. And <laughs> You're showing respect. but Now here's a, 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 something I'd like to see you try. I, I want you to take Claire, since I assume you're taking her with you, at home tonight? Um, yeah, but she she stays away from the rest of the family. Yeah. Okay, well, take her to a neutral outside location uh, or someplace where you're different than where you normally hang out and start an EVP session with her. I have. As, uh, you've already done this? I've been running. I've What I've done is I've run a tape recorder while I'm in the same room as her, while I'm working in the office. I'll uh, I'll leave a tape recorder with her. Just because I know what's going on with that tape recorder at that point in time, you know what I mean. Like, but so you haven't no... actively questioned, quote unquote. No, no, I've, I've been letting her. You know, I'll, I'll just tell her once in a while if you have something to say, feel free to say it. But uh, you know, I haven't been engaging in a one-on-one session. I was thinking we could save that okay. when we're at Lizzie Borden, just because I think the conditions there are more likely to amplify any type of activity that might be associated with this doll right as but to i wanted to see if the doll does something outside of lizzie's because we know we can get all kinds of crazy stuff yeah but lizzie. i i kind of don't want to get her actively going in my own house uh that's why i said take her out to a neutral location <laughs> yeah well i'm, I'm a lazy bum i'm sorry what Jill? So don't be scared of her tim well, I, mean, not, if I, was, I was eight years old, and I wasn't even running away from her. It's not that I'm scared of her so much as it is, uh, you know, I've made my house kind of a ghost-free zone, and I've tried to keep it that way. So I don't want bringing one object in there and, you know, riling it up. I don't want that to open the door for other things to feel like it can come in. Says the guy who always says, I don't believe anything can follow me home. <laughs> But uh, if anybody out there wants uh, has any questions that you think we should ask of the dollar, if you want to call in and do so yourself, uh, the numbers are one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty, or five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Those are the ways to get a hold of us. There's some people talking about it in the chat room, so there might be some some questions there that pop up. Uh, but one of the things that I've noticed as Chris and I are writing about these objects are. Most of the objects that we're hearing about are things that have people have some sort of attachment to, whether it be good or bad. They already have an association with that object. There we go. <laughs> when, when, uh, when, when they when they're sharing the story, when they're having these experiences, they've already kind of made up their mind about the object. And it seems like with you, Jill, uh, you know, you just had a very neutral approach to her when you received her as a gift. Well, I mean, yeah, because. She wasn't the first gift I've been given by Miss Marion, so she, even though, I mean, like I said, I've never been a doll person. She, she's not especially creepy to look at, but just, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, just holding her, you almost get, kind of get a little bit of a creepy vibe. Oh, I, I feel that way around any person. Uh, I was going to say, doll. any guy holding a doll is going to have a <laughs> creepy vibe. Yeah, that's true. But uh, like I showed, when I showed her to my wife, my wife was like, Oh, you know, she she's very pretty. I did. I thought it was going to be, you know, a doll with a little bit more of a, a creepy factor than that. But, you know, she thought her to be a very, you know, beautiful example of a porcelain doll. Well, since Miss Marion did say that, you know, she were 
reminded her of me, I was hoping that she'd be pretty. <laughs> but when you hear stories, you know, about something being haunted, you you expect the worst. And, and when something like Clara, it's one thing that I did notice about her, though, is, um, you know, she does have that expressionless face that so many of these porcelain dolls have. And that's what makes them especially intriguing when you're hearing stories about them because so many of the stories have not just the eye movement which a lot of these dolls have eyes that will move from side to side as you move the doll but what people talk about is the fact that the expression on the doll changes and when you look at it you say okay well that could be a trick of the light but really if you're looking at the face of the doll right now on spooky tv you can tell you know for a doll like this and i'm not saying that that uh, that claire does but similar dolls to break open into a wide grin which is some of the stories that i've heard or to open their mouth and talk, you know, that's a drastic change from the way that the face is painted onto the porcelain. Oh, no, no. She's never done that. The only thing that she's ever moved were her feet and her head, and that was the line I drew and put her away. And uh, did, I know that you had said to me in the communication that you had with me that when you tried telling your parents about the Shadow Man and some other stories, you know, that you were met with some uh, disbelief from them. But did you share them with them the story of the uh, of the music boxes? Well, I didn't tell about the first time the music box went off because, I mean, if my mom didn't believe me about something as, as big as, you know, seeing the Shadow Man, and that was almost a daily occurrence, she didn't believe me then, why would she believe me about something as mundane as the music box playing by itself? Because she would logically try and explain it away, which is fine, but, you know, you want your parents to believe you when you're having this kind of stuff because it kind of makes you feel alone as a child. Or at least pretend to believe you. I mean, at least yeah. uh, come in and be soothing about it. Which my mom is a little more open to the stuff I've told her as an adult. I guess she figures if I'm holding on to the story that long, I wasn't just making it up as a child. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, but I did, I felt kind of like well, I didn't have anybody to really turn to because my mom didn't believe me. My dad, uh he may have believed me, but, I mean, if I couldn't tell my mom, I wasn't going to tell my dad kind of thing. So I was just keeping it to myself. Well, now uh, the question that I do have to ask is when we bring her out and we finish with all these tests and we get her all riled up and when I send her back to you, uh, what are the plans uh, for uh, w what you plan to do with her afterwards? Are you going to put her back in the, in the bucket and put her back in the closet? or? No, I told you you can keep her. Really? Yeah, if you want to keep her, you can. Nah, nobody's ever given me a doll before. Oh, well, that's the first time of everything. I mean, there was that weird aunt that tried, but that's because for the first 14 years of my life, she insisted that I was a girl named Tammy. <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah, well, she's also the one that used to give us, like, uh, you know, canned goods for Christmas that were, like, a year past their expiration date, so. Oh, that's very nice. I'm just kidding. There's, there's no. <laughs> there's, the cra everybody knows the crazy aunts in my family. We've had them on the show. <laughs> well, you, you could always donate her to uh, to Lizzie Borden if she wants to go and stay with the, the well, other. I was thinking what we could do is we could take her on the paranormal tour and introduce her to Robert and see if maybe they hit it off. Well, that'd be cool since I didn't get to meet Robert when I was down there. Yeah, you know, I've I've never met him either, but Moniz has, Chris Balzano has, and, uh, you know, they've, they've definitely told me that that doll has the creepy factor. That doll has a serious creepy factor. Yeah, just seeing pictures of him and the specials on TV I've seen of him, he is definitely creepy. And the one that creeps me out maybe even more than Robert is uh, is Annabelle the doll who is in the possession of Lorraine Warren just because it's a Raggedy Ann doll. Yes, and actually I was so relieved when I found that story 
because I was like, okay, it's not just me experiencing, you know, a creepy doll thing going on. I actually, um, I was, I went into the Salvation Army, my local Salvation Army the other day, you know, because I'm always going in and checking out, you know, some good deals. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bargain hunter, as uh, anybody that knows me knows. And so I walked in there, and right in the glass case where they have all the higher-end items they had for $99, a set of porcelain Raggedy Ann and Andy dolls. And I took one look at it, and I said, you know, even if it was $9, I don't think I would take – even if it was $0.99, cents, I don't think I would want to take those two things home. So <laughs> and it, I can tell you, you know, we, we've – Talked a lot with Brian Harnwell. We've been investigating with Brian Harnwell, and he talks all the time about how dolls are the one thing that creeps him out. So I'm, I'm just thinking maybe one night because I'll, I'll, I'm talking to Jay Mayo this week, I think, and Brian. But I think what I should do is maybe one night when they're out filming or something, or when he's hanging out with Jay, we'll like just sneak into Brian's car and just leave her on the seat. Yep. Just to mess with him a little bit. As long as he doesn't break her, because I mean. Oh, you nice don't have to worry. He's, he's not going to get anywhere near the doll. You don't have to worry about that. As soon as he sees it, it'll make it'll make Dude Run look like he was going in slow motion. <laughs> well, I do have to say, when I found out that the house I'm living in now, which was my husband's grandmother's house, she collected dolls. But she had already passed away before I even met my husband. And when I found out that this house used to be full of dolls, I turned to my husband and I said, if I find one freaking doll in this house, I am out. That's it. We're done. Well, I mean, but is that something that is... I mean, let's just say that, uh, you know, you did receive another doll as a gift. I mean, is it could, – could there be a positive experience that changes your mind about a doll? No. Because I just – I, I, I I've gotten dolls before as gifts. I mean, all through growing up, people were giving me dolls. And I can tell you, every single doll I ever got was in the same box that Claire was in. But I, I mean, where, where do you draw the line with that, though? I mean, is a Cabbage Patch Kid a doll? What about a stuffed animal? I mean – what about action figures? Yeah, where do you feel where do you feel comfortable? Um, you know, at what point do they stop creeping you out? Just dolls in general. I mean, okay, Barbie doll, not so much. Some of the really creepy looking those, baby those dolls. Creep they me have out. Now. You know, they're not anatomically correct. That's so weird. Well, I'm not either. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> but no, I mean, like stuff like that. Stuff that's more. I guess. Okay, I guess I'll say more modern looking dolls are okay. It's, it's the old-fashioned dolls. It's, it's dolls like Claire mm-hmm. or, you know, Robert the Doll, stuff that, that has, it just it almost has a personality to it, and you just don't seem to come across that so much in the more modern dolls. But, no, like, stuffed animals, I love stuffed animals. I still have every stuffed animal I own, and, you know, it's action figures. You know, I was playing with one of my friend's son's action figures just the other day. I mean, I don't care about that. It's just... Claire. Claire is where I draw the line. Anything that looks kind of like her. American dolls always kind of freaked me out a little bit, too. The American you girl know, dolls. Yeah, I got one of those not too long after my experience with Claire, and she is in a box as well. The The all-time, uh, the all-time classic creepy doll, though, uh, like the, the one that takes the cake, is, uh, is my buddy. Remember my buddy? Yes, yes. Oh my God, this thing's creeped me out. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that's where, that's where Chucky came from, the good guy's. Uh, from the Child's Play movies, but yeah, my brother got one of those My Buddy dolls when I was uh, probably about 10 or 11 years old, and uh, let me tell you, I would I had no problem, you know, like uh, Robbie and Poltergeist, I had no problem just throwing the blanket over it every night when it was time to go to bed. I did the same thing with my Teddy Ruxpin. 
Oh, and you know what? If you see Paranormal Activity 3, there's I a, did. Yeah, I the Teddy that. Ruxpin that's in that movie. That That's going to add a whole new level of creepy to, to Teddy Ruxpin fans. Which was funny because I came across the Teddy Ruxpin as I was looking for Claire, and I was like, okay. And then that same, you know, a couple of days later, I saw Paranormal Activity 3, and I was like, oh, let's just, you know, haunt me with Teddy Ruxpin now. Well, and I have a, a family member who uh, actually had a psychic connection made over a Teddy Ruxpin. So I was I was going to text her and warn her that when she sees Paranormal Activity 3 that it's in the movie. And I said, nah, I'll just wait. <laughs> Find out what her reaction is. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Jill. And thank you for, for letting us, you know, run tests on Claire. And, and like I said, we're going to be nice to her. Okay. You know, we'll, we're probably going to take her out for a cheeseburger now after the show's over. Just not getting ketchup on her. No, no. It, no, no. I mean, there's no no promises about that. I mean, it all depends on what kind of a messy eater she is. But we'll we'll do our best to clean her up afterwards. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That is Jill. She is the owner of Claire the Haunted Doll, who you can see right on the cameras right now on Spooky TV. And uh, if you're listening to this on podcast and you know you want to go back and check it out, you can just go into the archives on Ustream.tv. Or on uh, SpookySouthCoast.com slash SpookyTV, and you can get the archives of this episode, and you can actually see uh, what Claire looks like. I'll try – I put a picture up on Facebook of, of me and Claire the doll, and the immediate reaction that I heard from everybody is the doll looks fine, but the face that I'm making in the picture is extremely disturbing. So uh, I'll try and take some better pictures and put them up there. And uh, Jill's also given us some good pictures for the book. And, again, if you have any haunted or possessed or cursed objects uh, that are in your possession now or – if you've ever had encounters with them over the years, just email us spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com and uh, you can get included in the forthcoming book that Chris and I are working on. And let me tell you, some of the stories that we're working on for this book are interesting not because of the ghost stories associated with these particular items uh, that we're talking about, but researching the history of similar accounts of these same items. You know, for example, moving furniture, mirrors, you know, musical instruments. There's just some of the history of why they could be haunted is what's fascinating me as we're putting the book together. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be forthcoming uh, in, in a few months. Uh, we'll keep you up to date, of course, and we'll talk about it here on the show. But uh, it's, it's going to be a good one. I, I'm, I get a little creeped out as I'm writing some of these stories and as I'm hearing some of these stories, uh, including some of the ones that I've been getting from people who, you know, not just people that I don't know who are sharing the stories, but uh, stories that I'm getting from actual paranormal investigators about objects that they've had to deal with, they're sending a shiver down my spine, and it takes a lot to scare me. I mean, the only thing that really scares me is going to Moniz's house when I, I don't know if uh, if he's armed. Well, I, always you're always assume. armed. But I, <laughs> I, I don't know if the, uh, if the claymores are out as I'm traveling <laughs> down the road. All right, well, we will be back next week. I'll share with you if anything more happens with Claire, or maybe I'll just make you wait for the book either way. Uh, but definitely uh, stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com uh, to find out more updates. You can also follow us on Twitter, SpookySC, at SpookySC on Twitter. And, uh, of course, we have the Paranormal Peer Review, which is now up on Facebook, which is the uh, new effort that we started with Dave Francis to get people to share their evidence and have discourse and discussion about them. And we've already had some great examples put up there and a lot of uh, comments made. And I'm learning stuff just by going to that page every day. So check it out. It's Paranormal Peer Review on Facebook. Moniz, you're still doing your tours at Lizzie Borden's? I'm doing my tours every weekend now, Friday. I'm sorry, Saturday and Sundays, 1230 and 2.30 each day on uh, Saturdays and Sundays. You know what would be a great promotional tool for that? Facebook, if you could get on it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I can get on Facebook. I just haven't really been on it lately. Well, now you've got something to go on and promote. So you have to contribute to the downfall of social media because it's becoming too commercial. Ah, so there, there you, you go. go. All right. We will be back next week to talk more about the paranormal. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us at any time, you can just email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also uh, get a hold of us on Facebook. Uh, there's a Spooky South Coast page there as well. Uh, and, of course, you can text us or leave a voicemail message at 508-444-2661. That's 508-444-BOO-1. I know. Mike Marco is going to think we sold his license plate. <laughs> and uh, so those are the ways to get a hold of us. And uh, if you do want to contribute any stories about haunted objects, again, spooky crew at SpookySouthCoast.com is the best way. And now we're moving away from the paranormal ghost season in the mainstream media, and we're moving closer uh, to the holiday season. You know, you're going to start to hear less stories about ghosts and about paranormal stuff in the newspapers, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to be in the forefront of culture. One good example of that is the Northern Rhode Island Paranormal and Metaphysical Fest. That's tomorrow at the Smithfield uh, Elks Lodge. So uh, definitely make sure that you check that out. You can find out more about that on our Facebook page as well. So that about does it for this week's show. You guys have anything else to add? Claire, you have anything you want to say before we go? No. Sorry, I was waiting for one of you guys to do it. So uh, (laughs) that'll do it for this week's show. Uh, Again, we'll be back here at the regular time uh, next Saturday night at about 10.15 to talk with you more about the paranormal. So until then, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, and for Claire the Haunted Doll, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular.